Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here this morning. Shall we open in prayer? We're thankful, Father, at every remembrance of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If there is anyone here this morning who cannot say, He is my Savior, may that person have the light of your Spirit shine the grace of God into their hearts and minds, and that the need of that person be met. For, Lord, we confess that we are all the same. We all need salvation. And we know that it is only found in one name. It is only found in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, whose birth we are thinking about this morning. We pray that you would guide our thoughts and help us to focus our hearts and minds on the Lord Jesus this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You might turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. I find that uh, this man, this, uh, it is presumed that he was an aged man, but the scriptures do not tell us that. Uh, I find that this man, Simeon, to be an admirable man in that he was waiting. And I want to discuss this morning and talk about his expectant spirit and his good attitude in thinking about the Messiah. Simeon was knowledgeable. He was full of faith. He was expectant. And he was pious. Yes, I'll even use that word. A man who worshipped God in a systematic way. I think he's an example to all of us. And so let us consider Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 35, we've had in the material leading up to this point in Luke chapter 2, we've had the Magnificat of Mary, we've had the prophecy of Zacharias, we've had the birth of Jesus in the manger, and we've had the angels over the shepherds. And now it is 40 days, Jesus is a mere 40 days old. And he is brought to the temple. And various events occur at the temple. We have an interesting um, observation by Wearsby that you might say that Jesus met Moses before he met Simeon and Anna. And this is significant when we think of uh, the arrival, the first advent, as we often say, the first advent of our Lord Jesus. We, <clears throat> we think of um, Simeon, perhaps, and, and how he spoke of the Lord Jesus. But we should also keep in mind the context. And one of the reasons that we need to keep in mind the context is that in this day and age when there is so much pseudo-information, pseudo means sort of, there is so much out there that's available for your viewing, your listening, and for your reading. You are going to be exposed to ideas and um, teachings from learned men who will seek and are seeking to undermine your faith. You and your children are in a generation and in a time when there has never been so much possibility to be misled to be misled by so-called experts, 
people who will even draw into question whether Jesus was a historical person, which was not something that historically scholars even remotely considered. There is far too much evidence of the historical person, Jesus of Nazareth, for it to be ignored. And yet, you can easily find so-called experts who will undermine everything about him and his life and his works and the subsequent uh, work of the disciples. But you see, Jesus was born a real Jew. He was born into a very religious religion, and his parents were observant Jews. His um, parents, his apparent, you might say, earthly father, his, uh, his true father, of course, was God in heaven, but his earthly parents were observant Jews, and as an observant Jew, and this has been established by thousands of years, going back to Genesis uh, 17 and Leviticus 12, Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. And according to Leviticus 12, his mother Mary went through the purification period, the quarantine period associated with issue of blood and the firstborn. And on the 40th day, he, as the firstborn male, and in remembrance of what happened in Egypt, was redeemed. And isn't it something that the one that we've been singing about is the king of kings, that his own parents were so poor, they could not afford the lamb of Exodus 13. The allowance made for the poor was what they had to invoke, and they offered two turtle doves as the acknowledgement of Jesus being the firstborn male. Very Jewish and symbolic and meaningful and I would say adding a coherence and a texture to the entire biblical account. When you, I believe that when you take in the Bible and when you take in the context and when you look at the coherence from multiple levels, you look at the historical coherence, our knowledge from other documents and from archeology, span you have fundamental secular uh, consistency with what you read in the Bible and what is known even by atheists. You also have a religion, a very well-established religion, which exists to this day. Paul said it as though there is a veil over the mind of the Jew so that he cannot see Jesus as the Messiah, but that veil will be lifted. But there is an established, pre-existing, historical uh, scholastically established religion called Judaism into which Jesus of Nazareth was born. This is not open for discussion. It is a fact, but it gets better because all of these things are theologically and spiritually tied together. So now it is taken to a new level. Not only are these things from a secular point of view coherent, not only are these things well-established from the point of view of religious practice historically. These things have spiritual coherence, 
And when you take in your Bible and when you take in your New Testament, you find that not only is there spiritual coherence, there is the profundity that speaks to your soul about your need for salvation. And the Apostle Paul brings out the meaning of all these things. This morning we considered for a short time from Hebrews that a sacrificial system was a picture There is a coherence here. There is a theological link through the entire 66 books of the Bible. And so I can look the atheist in the eye and have a very um, good discussion with him and have absolute confidence that, you know what? I'm right and you're wrong. I won't say that to his face. But I have absolutely no fear in talking to anyone in any context. We were praying not long ago about, um, you know, using opportunities. I digress here, but I was in the men's locker room yesterday with an ex-Muslim. And he's looking and he's searching. He was brought up a Muslim. And he, like many Iranians many young Iranians, has abandoned that dark religion. And, of course, the human heart then begins to search, then begins to look. And after we had played about 12 games of squash, and he's less than half my age, we're in there, me sort of getting over it, and having a nice conversation about that he and I agree on some things, that we are created in the image of God. That God's love extends to men, even to criminals, we agreed, because we are created in his image. And so the conversation proceeded, and I will see him again. And I look forward to it. You and I need to be strongly grounded in our knowledge of the truth. I marvel at Alfred Eidersheim, a a very eminent man who's written uh, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah that may well be on your bookshelf. And I have here some observations that he made about the historical context of these things, but from a pseudo-theological perspective. So let's go through these things. Because he points out that for every aspect of the first advent of the Lord Jesus and his life that was humble, you might say shockingly humble, and you might wonder, well, he is God the Son, he is the Son of God, and yet there is such a, a, a downside to his arrival and his life. Eidersheim points out, for every one of those, you can find a parallel one that speaks of who this really is, who this Jesus of Messiah really is. As per the prophecy of Isaiah, he was born of a virgin, of a maiden. A young woman, and it was announced to her by Gabriel that she would bear the Messiah. And then her husband found out. He wasn't quite her husband, but under Jewish betrothal, it was a very, very serious 
um, shall we say, relationship with a great deal of uh, legal implications. It's not the kind of engagement you break in Jewish society. He found out that his wife is pregnant. And he must have been tortured in his soul. The love of his life, who seemed and was a very pure woman, is pregnant. How? Why? How? Well, he needed an angel to tell him what to do. So although he was born of very, very humble circumstances, on the other side, who announced that? An angel. He was in a manger. I was uh, listening to a sermon by a learned man talking about the fact that it's actually, um, we, we often have the idea of, a, of what we call in Nova Scotia an outbuilding, that there is a, an inn, like a small motel or hotel, and that there was an outbuilding for the animals. But what is more likely is actually similar to the way that many um, cultures outside of North America organize themselves, and that is in a quadrilateral type of building with an open courtyard in the middle. And when the animals needed to be kept safe at night, they were brought into the middle of that area. So uh, it is quite likely that that was the arrangement of the building, that the Lord Jesus was born under the stars. In a manger. Hard to uh, imagine a more humble birth, but a shining host of heaven welcomed him. Later in his life, he would hunger and thirst in the wilderness, but angels would minister to him afterwards. He submitted to baptism. Even the person who baptized him wasn't sure why, why he should do it or what justification there was for this. But Jesus said to fulfill all righteousness. And that humble experience was attested to by a voice from heaven and a dove descending. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. <clears throat> Mary and Joseph as I was saying, can only offer two little birds as part of the Judaistic sacrifice associated with the firstborn male. And yet, you have the wonderful testimony of Simeon, and then we hear of the praise of Anna, the prophetess, a female prophet, that associated that offering and that arrival at the temple when Jesus was 40 days old. And that's what we're going to think about a little bit more this morning. So let's read through this. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. I had used the word pious. Looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit unto the temple, and when the parents brought him, brought in, rather, the child of Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are letting your bondservant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, 
which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and as a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. A wonderfully profound passage. When that righteous man went to the temple, I'm sure he had no idea that the things that came out of his heart would become scripture. And that people all over the world would appreciate and understand, especially Christians, the significance of these things. For centuries, and, and now 2,000 years later, here we are thinking about these things. That little word, consolation, it's interesting <clears throat> to think about that word. We often think of consolation as something that comes to you when there is grief. And certainly, Israel has experienced and had experienced a lot of grief. And that the Lord Jesus is there to console. The word, interestingly, when you look it up, you find out that it is the same word from John 14, Parakletos, the comforter, the advocate. The comforter, the advocate. You see, God is a trinity. And when God acts, God acts as a trinity. The Holy Spirit would come and dwell, the hearts indwell, the hearts of believers like you. The Holy Spirit could come and bring about a revolutionary change in Israel. And some Israelites received that comfort and received the testimony of that advocate, didn't they? People like Matthew, Mark, and John, and Paul. The testimony in the heart. But Israel today is still a lost nation with that veil over their minds, not knowing that Jesus of Nazareth was and is the Messiah. When you read of the various prophecies such as Isaiah 40 that's on the screen, you can think of a telescope. And when you read the various prophecies on Isaiah, even the one that Jesus quoted in Luke chapter 4 when he read from Isaiah in the synagogue, do you know that he stopped mid-sentence? Because some of it is still to come. When you look at these prophecies, the only way to um, make sense, if you will, of some of them is the idea that when you look through a telescope, as I do from my, my recreational room window out over the ocean, I'm in Herring Cove and I can look out and I like to see every ship that goes by. And if, a ship, if I see a ship, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to see whether I can read the name of it and uh, what the nature of it is. I saw the uh, submarines coming and going a couple of weeks ago. And uh, when you look out, I look over to my daughter-in-law's father's home, that direction in Lawrencetown, and halfway in between is McNabb's Island. 
but it's all collapsed. It looks like Lawrencetown is just a little bit beyond McNabb's Island when I look through the telescope. Oh, no, 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 no. That's a long way from McNabb's Island to Lawrencetown Beach. It's a long way from my house to the tip of McNabb's Island. But when all of that is collapsed looking into the future, you see multiple things in the stages of God's plan. So some of the prophecies are fulfilled in the first advent, and some of them are fulfilled in the second advent, that Jesus will establish his kingdom on earth. And that will be a leader. He will be a leader that will never disappoint. I don't know about you. I'm, I, I found out that one of the men in leadership here at this church consciously avoids following the news. And on the one hand, I kind of go, brother, you should follow the news. And on the other hand, I go, no, I know where you're coming from. It's all so depressing. It, it's, it, it, if you don't want to follow the news, I, I can understand that. There's, <laughs> there's no good news. And there's so many distortions and so many evil things that are being put forward and misinformation that's being put forward that uh, you almost feel like, you know, turn it off. My wife is all too familiar with that. Sometimes a, a certain voice will come on the car radio and I'll press that button and turn, the, uh, turn that thing off so fast it'll make your head swim. The, 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 the age in which we live is, is very disconcerting. But we know that the Savior is going to be setting up his kingdom. And he will be faultless. And the kingdom of God in all its fullness will be realized. And Israel's veil will be lifted from their mind. They, on the other hand, as we can see as interesting, shall I say, informational tidbits in the gospel, that's not a, in the gospels, that's not a very uh, reverent way to describe it, but when you see these details dropped in from time to time through scripture, and the writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is including some of these details, it forms a coherent whole. When a judge listens to testimony in court, he is looking for testimony which has an appropriate amount of detail, not seemingly embellished, and not leaving out things that's, that we that would wonder why they're left out. There is an appropriate level of detail in eyewitness accounts. And Luke was a Gentile, and he's noting how the Jewishness of Jesus is manifested when he comes to the temple at age 40 days. But when we look through the, the life of Jesus and the fact that the Jews rejected him, we find statements like this. So Jesus, aware that they, were, that they intended to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew by himself to a mountain alone. Isn't that interesting? Luke 19.11. It says that, because Jesus was near Jerusalem, they thought that the kingdom of God in the earthly sense was imminent. And so these tidbits, these pieces of information reveal to us the mentality of the people among whom Jesus moved and among whom Jesus taught and later among whom the 
apostles taught. And they were wrong. They didn't understand the telescope principle. They thought that this should happen, that these things happen to ha have to happen at the same time. If the Messiah comes, he's going to be political. And he'll throw out Nero. And he'll throw out Tiberius and who's ever the, the emperor at the moment. And we won't be occupied by Rome anymore. No. That was not God's plan, and it is not God's plan. But it is explanatory in terms of the history and in terms of your Old Testament. Let us quickly think about the virtues, I like to call them, of Simeon. We read in verse 25 that he was just and devout, that he was a righteous man, that he went to the temple. I find it strange sometimes, you know, you, you may know of, of Christians, and they're definitely Christians. I, I am not saying that I doubt their faith, that I doubt their salvation. I don't. But why aren't they here? Why aren't they here? I know that in many cases there are extenuating circumstances, often pertaining to health and pertaining to many issues. But, but, there are a lot of people here that are not here this morning. And you have to wonder why. Do you know the Lord? Do you love the Lord? Is worship of the Lord meaningful to you? The Lord actually only instituted one meeting. And by the way, it isn't this one here happening right now, is it? where we have singing and we have a message. That actually isn't clearly described in your New Testament at all. The one that it, the Lord himself instituted and that is clearly described and followed through on, you can read about in 1 Corinthians, following from John 16, is the breaking of the bread, right? The 930 service. That's actually the only clearly described New Testament service. you should be there. Do you know the Lord and love the Lord? We have here a man, and uh, I love these various pictures that I was able to grab of a, of a I'm going to say, senior citizen. I'm going to say that this is a senior citizen with a baby in his arms. I find that to be uh, an inherently touching image. And this is, I would say, a kind of reward that this man received for being just and devout. You know, it had been 400 years since the revelation of Malachi. 3.16 of Malachi, you can read about how God pays attention to people who are watchful and waiting. Oh, yes, he knows. He knows your practices. He knows your life. He knows your heart. More about that later. And to wait expectantly. Now, here this morning, what are we waiting expectantly for? We're not waiting expectantly for the first advent. We're waiting expectantly, I hope, for the second advent, for the return of Christ. Is that kind of the order of the day for you? The Lord might come today when you wake up. The Lord might come today. Does that thrill your soul? Does that give you hope? as we thought about this morning in the breaking of bread service, he is coming back. He said he would. 
It's almost funny in Acts chapter 1. The angels say, what, what, why are you guys sort of in a daze? This Jesus who has left is coming back to say, get on with it. The Lord Jesus gave his great commission in Matthew 28 to go into the world and make disciples of the people in all the nations of the world. Get on with it. If you love the Lord, get on with it. And wait expectantly for his return. And he was rewarded too. This baby is the Messiah. Wow. How did that happen? It says in verse 27 that he was led by the Spirit. I trust that you as a believer know what that means. Do you think, and I I stand before you guilty of having not recognized this multiple times in my life. Do you think that God cannot guide you to go to a given place at a given time? That that's some kind of impossible miracle? Not true. I'm here to tell you that's not true. Open your mind to that possibility. I won't go into my personal experiences where God changed my mind, but I'll tell you that it's not true. God can direct your steps at a certain place, at a certain time, to go somewhere and be obedient to him. And you can be rewarded for that. And this man was a righteous and just man who was devout. And he worshipped, we can see in 28 and 29. The worship of the Lord, here is the Messiah. He's, he's, he's laying eyes on the promised Messiah. The promise of the Messiah is right before his eyes, and he has the privilege of worship. You have the privilege of worshiping the Messiah. Take advantage of it. It should be an expression of your heart. It should be a natural thing. It should be something you love to do. May God guide you into it and encourage you into it. He bore witness to all around of who this was. He spoke with the words. We need to speak. Sometimes we need to say it out loud. Who Jesus really is. Who is this? (laughs) You know who Jesus is. It's within your power to open your mouth and talk about it. And bear witness of who he is. And then you can be even used above God. And you can read in this passage how this man, Simeon, this just and devout man, revealed more truth. More truth came through him. He never imagined that either. Would God speak through me? Would God reveal something through me? I bet he never imagined that. He wasn't sure why he was going to the temple, but he saw the Messiah. And then he revealed very sobering truths about his country and the mother of the child. And so these became prophecies. In general, the word prophecy refers to the revealing of the mind of God. But it also, of course, refers to revealing what is coming in the future. It might be in the distant future, or it might be in the near future. 
And so we, we have the example of, of Simeon, and it's delightful to meditate upon his um, depth of appreciation of being able to hold the Lord's Christ. I love those two words. The Lord's anointed one. Christos in Spanish. Anointed one. But, what is the meaning of this? Theologically, what is the greater and deeper and more significant meaning? And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Found in fashion as a man. And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It speaks of the incarnation, and it speaks of that future day when everyone will bow the knee. Everyone will bow the knee. Everyone will have to admit who this was and who this is. That is the greater and perhaps bigger significance. For us, we know we can look back at this time of year at the first advent, but we are also people who should be looking for the return of Christ. I love this verse. In the future there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, not only to me, Paul, but also to all who love his appearing. Do you love his appearing? It's pretty easy to tell what you love, I think. You can examine your own heart. You can examine your actions. You can examine your attitudes. And after you do that for a while, I think it becomes pretty evident what and whom you love. Do you love his appearing? I love the verse in 1 John that says, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Do you look forward to that? This body is 67 years old. It still kind of moves pretty good. But it's getting creakier and creakier. You get up in the locker room and you have these conversations and the other guy's not creaky and you're creaky. I look forward to the day when I'll be able to sing properly. I try to sing. You try to sing. Some of you can really sing. I, I only try to sing. One of, the way, one of the reasons why I'm looking for my physical redemption it's because I'm quite sure that God will give you and give me a voice box that does justice. That does justice to who Jesus is. And so at this time of year, as we have opportunity and as we have understanding from the scriptures, and as we allow the Lord to lead us, God can use us. If you don't believe that God can use you, that is disbelief, isn't it? God can use you. You don't need to be highly educated. 
You do need to know the Word of God, so study it. You don't need to be um, an orator, but you do need to be obedient, and you do need to be watchful, and you do need to love His appearing. And so this morning, as we have briefly considered these things, I trust that the Lord will strengthen your hearts in His service. And if you know not the Lord Jesus Christ, and you say, David, I, I have to admit, I, I, I not only don't love his appearing, I just look at this Christmas season as sort of a thing with these funny nativities over here and these songs that they sing over there on the sidewalk, and I go, yeah, it's Christmas again, but it doesn't mean anything to me. I don't love his appearing either. Then you need to really examine your heart. You need to be saved in all probability. And if you need to be saved because you don't love his appearing and you don't love his first advent either and none of it makes you know, much sense to you and means much to you, you need to be saved. You need to turn in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to repent. You need to trust in the Lord Jesus for your salvation. And then you will love his appearing. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that we would continue in it on our own, that we would meditate upon it, and that you would strengthen our hearts and minds and use us in your service. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your attention.